Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and when it comes to cars I personally own, decent fuel economy does make my list of attributes I'd like to have in a vehicle, but it's further down the list behind things like solid acceleration, great handling and braking, and attractive styling. Of course, one can get all those attributes in abundance if you buy something like, say, a used Tesla. But prices of used Teslas and other electric vehicles that offer decent real-world range between each charge start out around thirty dollars to $35,000, which is still expensive by my standards. But if I wanted a used vehicle that gets amazing fuel economy at a more reasonable price, I would buy the first hybrid sold in the U.S., it's a vehicle that had an amazing EPA fuel economy rating, and it's a car I still geek out over today, in spite of the fact that the earliest examples are more than 20 years old, and they're not exactly fast. In fact, I'd say they're more funky. And no, it's not a Prius, but I'll tell you what it is and why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So back more than 20 years ago, before the large wave of new electric vehicles made available to Americans in the last couple of years, the way that people got the best fuel economy on their daily commute here in the U.S. was to buy a hybrid. And the very first hybrid vehicle available anywhere on the planet was the Toyota Prius, which launched in 1997 in Japan. Now that first Prius was a homely-looking little four-door, but it did offer great fuel economy. Three years later, when it launched in the U.S. for model year 2000, its fuel economy was initially EPA-rated at 52 city, 45 highway, with 48 miles per gallon combined. Now, those numbers were later revised downward to 42 city, 41 highway, and 41 miles per gallon overall, which is not bad. Plus, it could haul around four adults, occasionally five in relative discomfort. And while it didn't sell in big numbers initially, the Prius has always been popular with those nerdy, geeky types. Over time, Toyota continued to develop the Prius, and it eventually sold in much larger numbers. So large, in fact, that if you took a poll today, I'm sure most Americans would think that the first hybrid vehicle sold in the U.S. was the Prius. But actually, the first hybrid introduced to the U.S., and the focus of today's podcast, is the first-generation Honda Insight, a two-door, two-passenger hatchback available in the U.S. from model years 2000 through 2006. Now, personally, I like the concept of a hybrid drivetrain, which combines an internal combustion engine with an electric motor to boost performance when accelerating while also improving fuel economy. But I have to admit that I was a little disappointed with both the performance and the styling of the Prius. I mean, just because it gets good fuel economy, it doesn't have to be boring to drive and, frankly, kind of dorky looking. Now, some might think the first generation Honda Insight is slow and dorky too, but I like to think of it more as an evolution of Honda's Civic CRX HF, available in the mid to late 1980s and early 1990s. Now, introduced in 1984 to the U.S. market, the Honda CRX was a sporty, lightweight, front-wheel drive, two-door hatchback that, in its highest horsepower configuration, the CRX SI, offered sports car-like performance that could give a comparable year Toyota MR2 or Pontiac's V6 Fiero a run for their money. 
But in addition to the SI model, Honda also offered an HF or high fuel mileage version of the CRX that was equipped with a more fuel efficient engine and taller gearing to improve fuel economy. Now for comparison, the base model 1984 CRX with a 1.3 liter four-cylinder engine, this is basically the HF configuration. It wasn't called the HF until the next year, 1985, but it came with a five-speed manual transmission and it had a revised EPA fuel economy rating of 38 city and 48 highway with 41 miles per gallon combined. That's better highway mileage than the first Prius, and matches the combined Prius rating of 41 miles per gallon, without the complication of a hybrid powertrain. Of course, the CRX was much lighter because it was a smaller two-seat vehicle, plus it didn't have to meet model year 2000 crash standards, so no airbags, no side impact protection, that sort of thing. But still, the fuel economy of the 1.3 liter 1984 CRX was impressive. Now fast forward 16 years, and the 2000 Honda Insight Hybrid built on those numbers with even more impressive fuel economy. When first introduced, the EPA rating for the Insight was 61 miles per gallon city and 70 miles per gallon highway with a 65 mile per gallon combined rating. Now those numbers were later revised to 49 city, 61 highway, and 53 miles per gallon combined, but still, even the revised EPA fuel economy estimates for the first-generation Honda Insight are impressive by today's fuel economy standards. So if that piques your interest, let's dig into why you might want a 2000-2006 Honda Insight. Now, you might want a first-generation Honda Insight if you want a car that gets amazing fuel economy, especially for a long-distance daily commute. But you don't want to pay the price required to buy a new or even a used electric vehicle with decent driving range between charges. I mean, really great examples of the early Honda Insight Hybrid can be found for, say, eight dollars to $10,000, which is about $20,000 less than a used EV like a Tesla with decent enough range for a long daily commute without a recharge. Next, you might want a first-generation Honda Insight if you don't need to carry more than one extra person and a small amount of gear. So the big holdback for the first generation Honda Insight for many people was seating capacity. It has two seats with about five cubic feet of space to store items under the rear hatchback. And if you need room for more than one extra person or a lot of gear, the 2000 through 2006 Honda Insight probably isn't for you. And finally, you might want a first-generation Honda Insight if you're a tech-loving garage geek who doesn't want to be like everyone else, so you're drawn to the idea of owning, driving, and maintaining a used hybrid vehicle with eye-opening fuel economy that's also, arguably, the most collectible hybrid vehicle sold in the U.S. That's right, I said collectible. Now, is the Insight really worth big money today? Well, no. Will it be worth big money in the future as a collectible? You know, frankly, I don't know. But since Honda only sold about 17,000 first-generation Insights over the seven-year run, and many of those examples have been driven into the ground over the last two decades, I would expect the remaining first-gen Honda Insights that are in good condition, especially the lower-mileage one- or two-owner examples that made it this far without an accident— I think those are going to hold their value or maybe go up a little bit over time, even if you drive them to commute as Honda intended. So, yeah, maybe it is a collectible. If not, at least it's a car that's going to hold its value. 
Now, assuming you think you might be a candidate for the fun, funky, and frugal two-seat Honda Insight, let's dig into the details of what made it unique, starting with the various ways Honda improved the fuel economy of this car. So when it came to maximizing fuel economy in the first-generation Insight, Honda started with the simple stuff. Simple would be like making it lightweight, building a body that has superior aerodynamics, and installing a frugal four-cylinder motor. This car had all that stuff. First of all, the inside had a lightweight structure through the extensive use of lightweight materials like aluminum, plastics, etc. And the curb weight was only 1,856 pounds. That's really light. An early 90s Miata, the lightest ones, were about 2,200 pounds, 2,100 pounds. So this was about 250 pounds less, maybe 300 pounds less. That's a substantial difference. So really lightweight for a two-seat car. It also had superior aerodynamics. They used a lot of aero tricks like underbody aero panels that sealed off the bottom of the car. They had aero covers over the rear wheels. And the overall shape of the car with its cut-off cam tail was designed to reduce drag at higher speeds for better fuel economy. The car also had a frugal 1-liter single overhead cam 12-valve VTEC-E three-cylinder engine that provides primary motivation. And it's designed to get good fuel economy. But when we dig in a little bit deeper, we get to the more interesting stuff that gave the car good fuel economy, starting with IMA, or Integrated Motor Assist. This is a small electric motor inserted between the 1-liter gas engine and the transmission that kicks in under acceleration to help motivate the inside, to help move it along quicker. Now, unlike the Prius, which can run totally on electric power, the Insight only uses the motor assist to literally assist the motor, right? It's only doing it under moderate to heavy acceleration for better fuel economy. Now, IMA, or Integrated Motor Assist, runs off a battery that's underneath the rear hatch. It's in the back of the car, and it uses regenerative braking to recharge the rear-mounted nickel hydride battery. So you never have to plug the car in. It just charges on its own as you drive it. As you speed up and slow down, the battery recharges. The inside also has an auto stop function for city driving. So when you come to a stop, you pull up to a stoplight, take the car out of the gear, the engine shuts off. When you push in the clutch, put the car back into gear, the engine restarts and you can go again. And it just saves fuel when you're sitting at a stoplight and not moving. Now the car also cut down on friction losses through the use of electric rack and pinion power steering rather than having it driven through a belt. It also has lower rolling resistance tires, again, to improve fuel economy. Now, the same things that made the Honda Insight fuel efficient also made it a little bit more fun to drive compared with the Prius. First of all, the lightweight really kind of translates to better acceleration. Lightweight also translates to better handling in most cases. In this case, it had solid handling. It had good braking. It's going to stop quicker. It's got less mass to slow down. And the aerodynamic styling not only reduces drag for better fuel economy, it also improves performance at higher speeds. Not that the car is really a performance car, but every little bit helps, right? And it helps in both ways, fuel economy and performance. And speaking of performance, the one liter three-cylinder engine was rated at 67 horsepower and 66 pound-feet of torque from the factory, which is not that much, right? But the IMA electric engine added another six horsepower and 25 pound-feet of torque under moderate to heavy acceleration. So when combined, the IMA motor with the gas engine made 73 horsepower and 91 pound-feet of torque. Now again, that doesn't sound like a lot, but when you factor in a curb weight of 1,856 pounds, 
It didn't take much to motivate that to get up to speed, and the Insight is reasonably quick for a commuter car with excellent fuel economy. Now, back when it was new, MotorWeek tested a 2000 model year Insight, and they were able to get their car to go from 0 to 60 in 11.2 seconds and cover the quarter mile in 18.1 seconds at 75 miles per hour. Now, this isn't exactly quick, but it's not bad for what it is. On the braking front, these cars have a disc front drum rear brake setup with ABS, and that's enough to stop the car in a 120-foot average from 60 miles per hour. Again, really decent performance. And handling on the slalom course was predictable, but MotorWeek found the skinny, low-rolling resistance tires didn't provide much grip. But still, the Insight was confident and stable in spite of the lack of grip, so an overall competent handler. And that said, if you bought an Insight, I guess you could upgrade to a little bit stickier tire, but that would likely lower the overall fuel economy. And most people who drive the Honda Insight typically stick with the Bridgestone Potenza RE92 tires that came with the car originally. Those are going to give you the best fuel economy. Now, moving on to the interior of the car, it's clear that the Insight isn't a luxury car, but it's also not a penalty box for the driver and the passenger. It comes with a nicely laid out dash with digital instrumentation that allows the driver to easily monitor speed, fuel economy, battery charge level, and a lot more. There's also a nice meaty Honda S2000-like sport steering wheel that's kind of unexpected but really welcome in this car. It makes it feel a little bit more sporty. And both the driver and passenger have simple but attractive manually adjustable bucket seats. And while it's not luxurious, the Insight does come with an AM-FM cassette stereo, plus power windows with one touchdown button, power door locks, and power mirrors standard. Now, options back then included air conditioning with automatic climate control, which personally I consider to be a necessity, and a CD changer, which is nice to have if you have a collection of CDs. If not, you might want to figure out a way to get your smartphone to play music through the stereo. Now, like every used car... The Insight isn't perfect. There are issues and things that you'll have to deal with, especially on cars that have been driven a lot. And these cars do get driven a lot, many of them. So let's start with the big issues, talk about some of the things that can go wrong. So while these were amazing when new, many first-gen Insights have been reduced to overpriced junk <laughs> over time, right? I mean, they've been driven a lot. They've been driven, you know, 250, 350, 450,000 miles, and they're just kind of gone. Now, there's a lot that are less than that, that have 100,000 miles or 200,000 miles, but they do have issues such as, and these are the big ones. I'll get into those first. The big elephant in the room is the IMA battery. If that thing's toast, if it's gone, it's going to cost you probably $2,500 or more to replace it. I checked online and there's a company called Bumblebee and they make batteries for these. They're located in Oregon, Gresham, Oregon. And they were asking $2,350 plus shipping and tax for the replacement battery for the first generation Insight. So you can install it yourself, but you're going to have to pay whatever tax you pay in your state. And you're going to have to pay for shipping depending on where you're located. So, you know, this could easily bump up to close to $3,000 before you've installed it. And if you pay somebody to install it, it's going to be even more. But if you do it yourself, you might be able to get it done for about eh, $2,400 or $2,500. So... Not terrible, but not great. Now, another issue they have is the manual transmission can have worn second gear transmission synchros. And really, if the synchros in the second gear are worn out, you probably have issues with the first gear and third gear synchros as well. Those three gears get used a lot in these cars. 
So if the car has been driven by somebody who's not a real careful shifter, <laughs> if, if they don't shift carefully when they drive it, you know, it could wear out the synchros. And again, over time, that can just happen in a general sense. So that's something to look for. It would be expensive to replace that. And it sounds like a lot of people kind of let it go. But the best cars won't have that problem. So keep that in mind. Another big issue that I see on these cars, it seems to come up like every other car, is you'll notice in photos online of cars that are posted up in an ad that the paint is oxidized. It's kind of nasty looking. You might look at that and think, well, it's not that big of a deal. But if you ever decide to take it back to looking like new, paint and bodywork is expensive. When people say, oh, my paint guy can do it for like 500 bucks. No, he can't. It's not going to happen. You know, you can get a rattle can and paint it yourself, I guess, but it's not going to look good. And if it does look good, it's not going to stay looking good very long. Okay. You're going to have to have it professionally done and professional paint work is expensive. Another thing that can go wrong with these is over time, the catalytic converter can basically kind of disintegrate. Now, that's really something on higher mileage cars, but it's something to keep in mind. You want to make sure it's not breaking down, maybe clogged. That could be an issue. Okay. So those are the big issues, the battery, the transmission, paint, and the catalytic converter. Those, those are things that can cost a lot of money. Uh, more medium-sized issues, small to medium-sized, kind of niggling things. First of all, the driver window auto down function sometimes stops working. It's not a big deal, but, you know, it gets annoying. You want that to work. Also, a lot of these cars have broken rear latches for the hatchback. You'll see in the ad, oh, hatchback doesn't open, the latch is broken. Well, that's a pain because it makes it harder to load things into the back of the car. Sure, you could kind of flop something over the seat, but if you want to access the the small panel that's underneath that, you can't access that unless you can open the hatchback. And if you have to replace the battery, you got to open the hatch. So you want to make sure that that latch is working. So check on that. Uh, another thing that can go wrong is the door seals can develop leaks over time. And you'll notice by pulling the seatbelt out of the retractor, and if it's wet, <laughs> that seal's probably leaking. You do want to check that and make sure those seals are okay. You might not know if it's from a dry place, but definitely check it. Uh, other issues that can be that can come up and be a problem include missing or broken aero panels that are underneath the car. So, like I mentioned earlier, these cars have panels underneath that help with airflow under and through and around the car. And if those panels are missing, you lose some of the fuel economy capability of the car because you're, you've kind of ruined the aero aspect of it or you've minimized it in some respect. And so you want to make sure that your car has all of those. And that includes the side skirts that are over the rear wheels. Those help with the aerodynamics of the car as well. And I've seen probably three in the last couple of months that are missing one or two of those. So you just want to make sure that stuff is there from the get-go. And that's why you're probably going to have to pay more to get a good one. Now, some other things that happen through what I call the ravages of time, you know, this includes the catalytic converter that I mentioned, paint, which I mentioned, but also shocks, they're going to wear out over time. Motor mounts wear out over time. If the car's been driven on salty or snowy roads in winter, you're going to get rust on brake lines, brake fittings, fuel lines, you might have a rusty ground strap or battery cables. All of that stuff can make the car run sort of funky. It can interfere with electrical connections and cause a problem. Or in the case of brakes or fuel lines, it could actually cause a leak, which would be dangerous. 
Salty snow and cars do not mix. So you want to get a car that's maybe from the Pacific Northwest or from the desert Southwest, California, that sort of thing. Try not to get one that's been driven in the snow. That's not going to be good. Well, we've talked about the things that can go wrong. Now, what about pricing? It's my opinion that you should spend more to get more. And here's what I mean. These cars have been driven a lot. They're somebody's, you know, second, third car. It's a commuter car. Uh, People just put a ton of miles on them. They drive them to work. They drive them home. They let their kid drive it, yada, yada, yada. It gets driven, right? Now, some were really well cared for, and that's a good thing, and those are the ones you want, but some were beaten to death. Now, if you're down in a price range that's under $3,000, and, you know, cars that are under like $1,500, that's probably just junk. Uh, Cars that are between... $1,500 and $3,000, those are still going to be what I would call a beater. They're going to have like two, maybe three of those big problems we talked about earlier. You know, it's going to need a new IMA battery. It might have a transmission synchro problem. The paint might be oxidized. All three of those. It might have a catalytic converter problem. I mean, when you add all that stuff up, that's thousands of dollars. You know, six, seven, eight thousand bucks. So getting a car for $2,500 is no savings if you have to fix all those other things. So I would avoid the beaters in that price range. Now, if you move into a price range of, say, 3000 to 5000 you're going to find cars that are okay, but they're not great. Now, personally, I would sort of avoid that category unless you're highly motivated. Or this can kind of happen in this price range where somebody owns a really, really nice Honda Insight. And they go to Kelly Blue Book and they put in... I've got a 2006 Honda Insight, and it's got 85,000 miles. And they're going to put that in there, and Kelly Blue Book's going to spit back at them that it's worth, you know, $3,500 or something like that. And they're going to go, oh, okay, well, I guess, you know, I want to sell it quickly, so I'll price it at 3000 <laughs> Occasionally, you'll find something like that that pops up. You'll find a, you know, $3,500, $4,000, excellent condition version of this car, but it's going to last about as long as it takes me to say the word insight. I mean, something that cheap. People are going to be looking for that and they're going to go, oh my God. And they're going to buy it. They're going to push the button and call. They're going to email. They're going to text or whatever. And that car is going to be gone. It won't last long. But they do pop up every once in a while. I wouldn't hold your breath. But if you see one, move quickly. Make the phone call. Okay. Now, moving up into a price of, say, $6,000 to $8,000, this is where things get good. I mean, you're going to find decent cars at this price range. Now, many may have some of the minor niggling problems. You might have to fix that auto down button for the driver's window. Maybe you're missing a panel. You know, maybe it needs tires. Maybe it needs brakes. It's going to be more minor stuff, or it might be just perfect, right? But you're going to find good stuff in the $6,000 to $8,000 range. You're going to be decent. Now, that said, I would expect to pay more like $8,000 to $10,000 for a really good, low-mileage, one-to-two owner, near-collectible version. That's what I would go for. And I love to save money, but this it's kind of a fool's errand on these cars because of some of the big things that can go wrong that are expensive like the IMA battery, I mean, you're going to want to buy something, you know, between eight to $10,000 that's had the battery already changed and the IMA battery is under warranty. If it's never been changed, it's kind of like roulette. Are you the next person to have a problem? You could be. The battery could die six months after you get it. And then you're stuck with a $2,500 bill. 
So you don't want to have that. You want to pay more and get more right up front. Now, asking prices can be even higher. Just make sure, again, everything works and everything's there if you're going to go this route. Now, could you pay more? Yes. I went out to bringatrailer.com and searched for the Honda Insight, the first gen Insight. And I found a few. There haven't been many for sale lately. Uh, I found one that was sold in 2021, which was a red 2006 model. It had 55,000 miles and it sold for $10,700. That one appeared to be in great shape, but it was sold a year and a half, two years ago. Okay. And cars on Bring a Trailer typically sell for what the market will pay. I think ten seven was a was a pretty good price. Maybe it could have gone for ten, you know, or a little bit less on the open market without an auction, but it seemed to be priced about right. Now another one sold earlier in twenty twenty two. I think it was July twenty ninth of twenty twenty two. It sold for fifteen thousand seven hundred and fifty. It was silver. It was a 2005, but it only had 18,000 miles. So first of all, you know, why would you buy a car like this and then not drive it? I don't get it. It's it's an inexpensive two-seat car to get good fuel economy on a commute. Seems like somebody should have driven it, but maybe they bought the car, passed away, and the car sat in somebody's garage for 20 years. Who knows? Anyway, 18,000 miles, 15,750, that seems like a screaming deal to me because that car was basically brand new. Now, I don't know the condition of the IMA battery on that one. We'll never know. But that seems like a pretty good car for the money. So comparing it to the cost of a new car, because it's really at 18,000 miles, it's almost like a year old car, maybe a year and a half old car, right? So I would have paid that for something like that, if I was in the market for one of these things. But again, I don't think you need to pay that much. I think somewhere between eight to $10,000 should get you a really nice low mile, one to two owner, excellent condition, first generation Honda Insight. So when you go out to look, what should you look for? Well, like I just said, you want to get one that's one to two owners. You want to get one that's low miles and low miles is going to be, you know, probably going to be more than 50, less than a hundred you know, somewhere in that range. And it's going to vary. You're going to find cars and go, wow, this is great. It's got 100,000 miles and it's got a new battery, IMA battery. Okay. I would consider that low miles, especially with the IMA battery. You also want to make sure that all the big stuff works. The synchros and the manual transmission are fine. The IMA battery has been replaced or it's in good condition. Uh, there's no you know problem with the catalytic converter. The paint looks good. All the switches and lights and hatchback opening and et cetera, all that stuff works, right? You don't want to have any issues. So you want to check all that. And you also want to make sure all the parts that make the Insight get great fuel economy are there. Again, like I said, the side skirts over the rear wheels, you want to check for the panels underneath, all that kind of stuff. Now, one or two niggling things wouldn't be bad. I mean, you don't, you don't want that, of course, but there might be some little thing. But that wouldn't keep me from buying the car. But if it's one of the big things, just walk away, look for something else, move on to the next one, right? Also, get the manual transmission. Don't get the constant velocity transmission, the automatic. It's going to be more fun to drive in the long run with the manual transmission. And it's going to be worth more in the long run with the manual transmission, now you may think, really, why? A lot of people drive automatics. But here's the thing. People who are enthusiastic about cars like to engage, you know, with their car through a manual transmission. <laughs> you see it over and over again. You know, go look at early Miatas. Nobody wants the automatic model. They all want the manual. Come on. So get yourself a manual transmission. And if you don't know how to drive one, 
And aren't you old enough to learn? Come on, it's finally time. Just do it. Teach yourself. Go take a lesson somewhere. It's not that hard, and you'll love yourself for doing it. Trust me. Okay, and finally, you want to be patient when you're looking. Again, there weren't a lot of these made, and a lot of them have already been driven off the road. So you need to wait for something great to come along. Now, you might find something quickly. That does happen. But it may take you a couple of months to find something great. So you'll have to wait a little bit. Or the other thing you can do is expand your search area. Go to autotempest.com. And if you're willing to search on a nationwide basis, I would do that. You can put in the parameters for what you're looking for. Try to minimize the number of filters you use. I mean, I wouldn't even filter like transmission. I would just let all the cars kind of fall into the bucket. I uh, Just put model years 2000 through 2006, Honda Insight, and push the button. And just do a nationwide search and see what comes up. And it will search eBay. It'll search Auto Trader, Car Gurus, I think, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. It searches all of that stuff. So you're going to get a big bucket. You can check all those. And if you find something that's like 500 or 1,000 miles away, get a cheap Frontier Airline plane ticket, fly down to L.A., drive it home. Why not? Go see part of America that you haven't seen before. You've got a great fuel economy car with the Insight. You could drive around, check out the sites, stop at a few national parks, check out the giant ball of string in the Midwest, whatever those crazy things are you've always wanted to see, and do it. This would be a great car to do that in, so I definitely recommend it. So for those of you with a long-distance daily commute who want something interesting to drive that's still frugal, you should check out the 2000-2006 through 2006 Honda Insight Hybrid. It's a two-door, two-seat coupe that evokes some of the looks and fun-to-drive dynamics of the early Honda CRX while also delivering exceptional fuel economy. And for a long-distance, daily-driving geek who doesn't want to spend too much, this may be the perfect car. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and follow this podcast. And if the insight isn't quite what you're looking for, be sure to check out some of my earlier podcast episodes on cars like the Mazda Miata, the Ford SVT Focus Hot Hatchback, and the R56 Mini Cooper S if you're looking for something affordable that's fun to drive yet still delivers decent fuel economy. Well, that wraps up this episode. So until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.